Hey, everybody. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. My name is April Lovett. And my name is Daryl Lovett. We've been together for five years, and we have a three-year-old sweet and sassy little girl, an adorable and smiley baby boy, and our fur child, our dog, Lainey. That's right. We also work our nine-to-five jobs together, we teach together, and we co-own The Lovett Company. That's right. We do so much together, and we wanted to share some of our tips and tricks for living out our 24-7 relationship. Oh, yes. A relationship that is all day, every day. Plus, we want to share with you how we manage to run our side business alongside full-time jobs and still find time for kids, chores, and fun. So in this podcast, the Success in Black and White podcast, we'll be talking about working towards success, overcoming failures, and just living our everyday lives. So get ready, get ready, get ready. We're going to be bringing to you Real Talk Concepts every week as we share some of our stories, best practices, as well as talk to guests about how they have found success by doing extraordinary things in their everyday lives. Welcome back to Success in Black and White. The podcast. The podcast. We are back. In the house one more time. Yes. What and are we doing this time? We are we are still in the school of leadership. The school of leadership. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, we are about halfway through the series at this point. Um, and we have already been through the types of leaders that there are and the type of leader that you potentially could be. Yes. Or maybe that you are now. And maybe there's a type of leader you want to strive to be. Um, and then we've been diving into Maxwell's 360 degree leader and right. really exploring his concepts of leading down. Um, we're going to be talking about leading across today and leading up, which is always a little bit difficult. So we've already covered leading down. Yes, I remember doing that. Yeah, it was really, really good. We had a lot of great stories. Positional um, leadership. Positional leadership. How do you best lead the people that report to you, that follow you, um, that are your employees, your staff? So um, we've been through what type of leader are you and how to best lead down. And now we're going to talk about something that um, I don't think gets that much coverage really right no no when we talk about leadership and we do leadership trainings I mean we approach it as everybody can be a leader but we don't really talk about how that looks um and so we typically talk about it in the sense of leading down and leading how do you lead people beneath you right we don't really talk about it in the leading across or leading up type no of way. it's typically positional leadership and it's, leading down yeah it's usually how do you best effectively lead those beneath you so i'm excited to dive into maxwell's ideas on leading across and leading up because those are much more difficult to do i feel like what do you think i think that these last two are the most challenging yeah. when you're leading across, when you're talking about leading your peers and leading up when you're talking about the impact and influence that it has on upper administration, executive level, yeah. upper positions. And they're difficult to do. They're harder usually to do because you get into a little bit more political 
landscape when you talk about leading across and definitely leading up. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm just like, I'm hearing my voice right now. Just actually talking. I've been a little bit sick under the water. So I thought I sounded better. We waited a few days before we recorded this, but apologies in advance. If I sound a little, I don't even know what I sound like. It's all right. You know, we're going to get through this. We'll get through it. It'll be good. Um, real life. Real life. And I'm excited to dive in. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, again, if you want to listen to the last two topics, I think there are four episodes now out about what type of leader are you and leading down. So go back and listen to those so you can get a little bit of context. Um, but if you want to jump in right here, you're welcome to jump in right here. Um, We are going to continue on with John Maxwell's The 360 Degree Leader and talk about leading across. So in the spirit of that, let's talk about a couple principles he talks about because he has got, he really dives into leading across because it is so important to be able to lead your peers and your coworkers and to provide leadership skills from within. So we're going to talk first about what does leading across entail? According to Maxwell, and then of course, we always give our input too. Yes, we mm-hmm. will give our input. Yes. So the first thing that John Maxwell acknowledges is, and this is something I think that we have found in our experiences, is that leading your peers is tricky because when you're around your peers and your colleagues, you're simultaneously collaborating with them at the same time that you're competing with them. So how is this possible that we are competing and collaborating with our colleagues? I think it's possible because when you're in any type of atmosphere with peers, everyone's trying to put forth their best foot. Everyone's trying to exhibit their skill set, their value, their worth. So you're always going to be competing anytime you're working with anyone because I think most people that work together in groups with other people definitely want to carry their weight and want it to be known. So that's kind of camaraderie. Um, We're using the term competing, but it's camaraderie. And um, I know we're going to address it later, but it can be good. And then when you're talking about collaborating, anytime that you're in a group setting or you're working with other people, That's the most important part of accomplishing goals and tasks because everyone has to uphold their end of the bargain in order for the full puzzle to come together. Yeah, agree. So Maxwell um, does emphasize that a healthy work environment depends on both competition and collaboration, which you just kind of got into a little bit. Um, this for some reason took me a little bit by surprise, I guess maybe because I hadn't really thought through it that much. Did it surprise you to learn this? No, it did not. Um, because most people are primarily interested in elevating in their career and making it to the top, um, of their organization or becoming recognized in order for this to take place. You're going to have to perform well which um, is gauged by evaluation and it's based on standards. And in order for that to come to light, it's going to be through competition. I'll take it a step further and make it a little bit more personal. I have a competitive edge about me and I like to compete and I'm open and I accept a good challenge. So 
it always drives me to continue to get better. And it also provides that accountability piece as well. So, no, I wasn't really surprised by it at all. I know that you like to compete like sports. I've seen this. Yeah. Um, when we talk about the workplace, like how do you typically like to compete and what drives you to compete and how does that continue to sustain you in work? Yeah. So in the workplace, when I say compete, that camaraderie, being able to uphold your end of the bargain, as I said Mm -hmm. previously, and making sure that your work is at a high standard and you're fulfilling your personal expectations and the expectation of the company or the organization. And then kind of seeing what your peers are doing and Mm -hmm. and kind of pushing them and, and also them pushing you and making sure that you're you're rising together so when i say a competitive nature if i know that i have an assignment and and i know that it's going to be presented or put forth in front of the organization as a whole or in front of a certain group or a particular person i'm going to do my best so that you know i meet expectations and i exceed expectations and i meet standards and that's kind of like a little competition because I want to put my best out there because my peers are working on something that's going to also be presented in that same light. To be honest, I want mine to be a little bit better than theirs. Right. And if they come in and theirs is a little bit better than mine, I'm like challenge accepted. I got to go step my game up. I need to improve in my skill set. I need to change some things or the way that I did it. So I feel like a lot of people do that. And that goes back to what I said about, um, you know, most people are primarily interested in elevating in their career. So in, in order to do that, you have to outshine or you have to make yourself or your work um, be shown in a light that's above the rest. Interesting. I feel like we often see this in like if people are competing to get a job. Yes. Um, we see this often there. And then we see it often in like um, comparison, sister, peer organizations, institutions, mm-hmm. or like benchmarking right. institutions. Like we kind of see this when we compare, when we use comparative data against comparative what we call sister schools usually. Yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of see that healthy competition, but I feel like it's almost a little bit taboo to talk about it amongst each other in the workplace because we're, we are expected to be so collaborative mm-hmm. that I don't think that we often talk about the need to be competitive with each other within the same organization and even on the same team. Do you think that it's detrimental to not be really talking about this or focusing on it um, within the organization? No, I don't think it's detrimental. Um, I think that it is something that we do talk about, but just not in the form of how I think you're, you're trying to explain it. Like we don't, yeah, of competing. Like we don't sit down in a staff meeting and be like, all right, everybody pull out your rankings and let's see who did what and who, outshine the other 
But well, I guess if somebody listening is in like a sales, like yeah, in a sales, oh yeah, yeah definitely. You, I guess that's true. I guess you would definitely be competing against your definitely. So I guess that's a that's a great example. Yeah. Um, but I think that a lot of times it's kind of that that micro level where you're trying to accomplish something and you know you have a peer that's also doing what they need to do in their area and if they get a shout out for what they've done in their area and you don't get a shout out you're going to go do something to try to get a shout out true you know what i mean it's that acknowledgement i think that really matters and that's what people are seeking after and that can help you in a lot of ways depending on which sector of work you're in so for instance like you said sales that comes with bonuses yeah you know so that comes with different reward systems and you're definitely competing and you're more vocal about it one because i think the leadership in those type of settings make it known and they do discuss it in public but in other areas or other organizations or companies or or fields i don't think they talk about it but it is definitely something that occurs so i i definitely think that it is is important to one acknowledge it but the way that you acknowledge it and the way that you talk about it and the way that it is represented within your specific organization or field also determines if it's competitive natured if it's talked about if it's discussed gotcha 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 um so john maxwell talks about the upside of competition in the workplace And the downside of competition in the workplace, because something that he says is either too much competition or a deficiency in competition in the workplace can damage team dynamics. And I never thought about it this way. I think because in the places that I have always worked, competition is not mentioned because I'm not in like a rigorous sales commission based job. I've always worked in places that are very high on team oriented collaborative work. And so I've never thought about competition in this way, but he uses this principle of if you have too much competition, it's a bad thing. But if if there is a deficiency in competition, it can completely damage team dynamics. And I just think that is a really interesting principle. Um, but he also talks about the upside and the downside of competition, which you've covered a little bit. Right. Um, and he talks about the upside, the t- the three things, or I'm sorry, the two things, the upside of competition, the first is that competition provides feedback. So kind of like what you were talking about before is until we match our skills against a competitor, we seldom know the extent of our own strengths or our weaknesses. Um, and then the other thing he talks about is that competition calls forth our best efforts. Correct. And I liked his analogy here. Runners don't set world records in practice. They break them when they're racing against other elite athletes. Correct. And I think about this. When have you really seen the upside of competition at its best in the workplace? I think that I've seen it personally with some big assignments And when a person is given a lead on an assignment that you felt like you deserved or should have been given to you. Oh, yeah. Do you have a personal example of that? I think. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll, I'll give that example. I think that that kind of explains 
what I was saying earlier about the competition. Like you're being observed, you're being evaluated. That's true. And that is competition. That's a sense of competition. And how you perform is how you are rewarded or given assignments and tasks. And when you think you've performed to a certain level of certain standards and then someone else comes back and says, we're going to give this person the lead. You're going to be like, wait a minute, what happened? And your competitive nature and drive is going to instantly kick in and you're going to try to outshine that person who was given the lead. One, because you didn't get it for whatever reason, but two, to show them that you should have gotten it and you're ready for whatever the next opportunities are. Ah, okay. So so um, that I'm, I'm glad that this came full circle to the way that we're talking about it now, because that's what I was meaning by competition, whether it's discussed or not discussed, it always shows its face. And Mm. if you're not talking about it, your actions are going to kind of dictate that, that competitive nature. So you, you were you going to ask a question? Cause I was going to, I was going to ask, like, have you ever been passed up before? Like, have you ever been passed up for a big project or something that you felt like you deserved maybe a promotion? Oh, maybe I don't want to get into this. No, it's fine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever been passed up for something that you felt like you deserved? Of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking at me. Yeah, I'm looking at you. <laughs> but I'm not going to go down that road because... We already went down that road. We went down that road, but if I said really how I felt, it could get really messy. Oh, that's nice. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to go down that road. If for, you're just tuning in, we did tell the story yeah. in the very first episode. Yeah. Oh, there was a lot that I left out, yeah. but but we talked about, you know, what we were going to say and what we weren't going to say. Now you bringing it up again and you asking me like you want me to curious. tell us. Okay. okay. Uh, no, nah, we, we definitely won't. Okay. We won't do that um, for uh, multiple reasons. Um, but. Other than that, yes, I have been passed up um, a couple of times for, you know, leadership positions, advancements, promotions. And did it motivate you or did it get you down? No, it motivated me. Okay. Um, After the decisions were made, I went and I followed up and I said, hey, could you just elaborate or tell me more about what you were looking for that I did not have that you know, caused me to not be the best option for this moving forward. And sometimes people will tell you straight up. And then sometimes there are a lot of different um, other factors that play into it. So once I get or I'm able to fill out or figure out what the main reasons are and the things that I can control that motivates me and that pushes me to improve in those areas to make sure that um, I am aware of those and that I'm working towards those if I need to. Or if opportunity comes around again, I use that to make sure that I'm presenting myself in the manner that I needed to in the previous instance. Mm. Um, so it could be a, a plethora of things. It could be your skill set, it can be your knowledge, it can also be you as a person and how you're telling your story. Right. So I kind of take all of those into um like into one bottle and I kind of shake it up and save it and then I drink it for whenever the next time I need to go out. Ah. Yeah. So I know you asked me a question about a story. Yeah. I want to hear your story. What was that question again? 
I well, I just really wanted to hear when this has happened or when you've seen the really the upside of competition at its best in the workplace. Okay, yes. So I definitely have a competition story. I and hopefully I, I say what you're trying to get out of me right now. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell a story about a competitive environment that I've worked in before. So I worked for an organization. And within this organization, there was multiple people in my role or in my position, but they were spread across multiple locations. And we were all at the same level in this organization and in multiple locations. And we offered um, very similar opportunities to people in each of these locations. And and everything we did was based on metrics. And it was um, what dictated our advancement opportunities, and sometimes it came with bonuses. So when you're talking about competitive nature, money talks. Money talks. Yeah. Advancements talk. Yeah. And depending on what your your track is or your your goals, your career goals are, um, like I said, of moving up or or even just that acknowledgement, it all matters. Right. So think about it. A, a a bunch of people in the same level, in the same position across multiple locations doing similar things. And your accomplishments were all based on a metric system. And that's how you were acknowledged. That's how you're rewarded, which included some bonuses and which also dictated if you were going to be considered for an advancement. So. I mean, I was going at it. The other people were going at it. And you asked earlier, um, could this be detrimental to the organization? And I think that in the beginning, it was very detrimental because we were all cross over into each other's turf. I'll say turf. We would cross over into each other's turf and try to steal, you know, clientele and try to steal customers because we were based in our area to serve our area and to provide the maximum amount of opportunities in our area. Well, like I said, it was based on metrics, meaning, you know, how many people that you were able to bring in, how many people were you able to retain, how many people were you able to move through to the next program, which was the retention piece. Right. Um, so once we did that, if the same people were just going through, that metric was going to show up as stagnant because we weren't getting new people. Wow, yeah. So we would go and we would cross over into each other's turf and say, hey, you know, if you thought about it, well, I feel like we provide this a little bit better than the one that you're attending over there. Y'all were cutthroat. Oh, we were. <laughs> and, and we were, and we would also could contend for each other's resources without communicating it with each other (laughs) so we would go to corporate and say hey you know i feel like i could accomplish this a little bit better if i had these resources knowing goodness well we were undercutting people in other areas and and that was very detrimental because when you think about it we were all on the same team right all working for the same corporation and all trying to accomplish the same goal right of providing people with this certain service and these opportunities. And that's what it should have been about. But it wasn't about that. And we lost focus because we were looking for advancement opportunities. We were looking for those bonuses. We were looking for the acknowledgement. We were looking for those awards that you can win for, you know, your, um, for what you were doing and what you accomplished. And that's what our focus was on. So we ended up hurting each other worse than, 
um, than we had anticipated because, you know, you all go through the same training together before right. you go out. You all create a bond and you say you're going to work together as far as sharing ideas and things like that. So we ended up hurting each other. Um, and, and as it played out long term to kind of bring this story to, I guess, to an end and to give you a full snapshot. It became a, a a time to where we were all brought in because none of us were being successful because we were spending so much time <laughs> undercutting each other that we lost sight of the organization's goal and we weren't providing the services to the standards that they were expecting and we weren't providing the opportunities. So all of us had the same number of people. All of us had the same retention and it was not meeting the standards and expectation of the organization. Mm -hmm. So by us undercutting each other, we ended up hurting each other and hurting ourselves. And then they ended up having to bring all of us in anyways to tell us that we were subpar. Oh, y'all got in trouble. We did. But after that, though, we put the organization's goals first and we took our personal objectives out. And um, we said everything will play out how it's supposed to. And let's work together and share ideas and, and make sure that we're communicating when we're requesting additional resources. If we have something that we're not using, don't sit on it just so that the other person can't take it and use it to benefit them. And we started sharing resources. We started communicating better. We started sharing ideas. And those numbers definitely did increase. Um, and then there was someone that did, you know, receive some of those rewards for for what they were doing. And I was not that person, but wow. I know I was not that person. I was upset now. Yeah. The bonus was was not would have been nice. Yeah. But at the same time, we we all had jobs and we all were, um, you know, appreciative of that. And we also worked together and it created a stronger bond. And when the person who did um, get acknowledged for what they had did at their location, you know, we congratulated them and, and made sure that. We reinforce that we support you and we're glad. So whatever you're doing over there, what's working, share the ideas back with us so we can try it in our places. And next time, maybe it could be one of us. I was going to say, did it fracture relationships? But it sounds like you guys were able to mend. Yeah, we mend it. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. It did, though. It definitely did at first because yeah. we were doing some shady stuff. I mean, we were, like you said, cutthroat. We were undercutting each other and... um that's yeah. amazing that you guys were able to repair relationships because I don't think that that happens a lot of times. I think that even if a competition, even if even if there is a realization that competition has turned the relationships in the organization sour, I don't think that there's an effort usually to repair them. I think you just remain bitter a lot of times towards those people. Yeah, absolutely. And what typically happens in that situation, because I, I've seen that before. Um, what typically happens in a situation is someone ends up leaving and that's that's what typically happens or someone ends up getting reprimanded because when their ego and their personal vendetta is the objective or one of the main factors it creates poor performance right and usually if they're not if they don't leave or if they don't come up with a different game plan they're usually asked to leave and fire because their performance is so poor because they're not accomplishing what they need to, because they have that feeling of, of um, hatred. If, if that's the word that you want to use or that dislike. Right. 
And that's so funny because that leads into what Maxwell's downside of competition is. Mm-hmm. And his first one is that competition is personal. And yep. the we'll use the phrase friendly competition, but usually it just ends up fueling personal animosities. Exactly. I've definitely seen this in the workplace, especially when it comes to like promotions and or who gets assigned to certain tasks or mm-hmm. projects. Um, and it just, like I said, like I've seen relationships fractured that have not repaired even after the project is gone and passed, long gone and passed, or after the promotion is long gone and passed and people just remain bitter sometimes. Um, so it can definitely fuel personal animosities. And then the second thing he says is that competition can warp our view of success and failure in a culture obsessed with winning. We can be tempted to measure our self-worth by the outcome of the competition. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it can be easy to fall into that trap. And in reality, I see that often with the, not really where we currently work, but when you look at this culture right now that seems like it's really booming, especially on social media with like entrepreneurs and everybody's trying to get their business the leg up. And I see more that people are competing with each other constantly online and yes. in personal business. And it can really warp their sense of self if they see that they think somebody else is doing it better mm-hmm. by whatever standards they're trying to measure against when they probably don't really know what's happening in that business or, you know, with profit margins in that business or how many clients that person is getting or whatever it may be. It can be easy to look at somebody else's, just like looking at somebody else's life online. Like yeah. People are only going to portray usually what is good and positive about their personal life, about their business online. And in our culture, we just become obsessed with like, well, everybody else is doing it better than me. And so that sense of competition can really be damaging. I feel like, especially if you're, if you're trying to get your business off the ground or even just your personal life, you're like, well, so-and-so has a better life or a better family or they're prettier than me or, you know, whatever it is. I think that can really be damaging to sense of worth and to sense of career worth. Um, I don't know. Have you seen this? Do you feel like you see this often when you look on social media? I see it all the time. And um, I think that I guess I'll give you some some Daryl knowledge here. Yeah, we love Daryl knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) They control the narrative. So... If you're comparing yourself or you feel like you're in competition with someone else who controls a narrative and you don't know or you don't have any involvement in that process, like you're doing self-harm. Yeah, that's like a knowledge drop right there. That is. You're doing it's self-harm true. because they control the narrative. Yep. You're basing yourself off of something that they have full control over and you have no input you're doing yourself, you know, no favor and you're doing self-harm because they control what they want you to know. That That's a dangerous combination. That's a dangerous recipe. Yes, I agree. I think it's so easy to look at other people. And even like in the workplace, if you see somebody gets a promotion ahead of you that maybe you think you should get or you thought you should have gotten, 
Um, it can be damaging to your self-worth, but it usually isn't about you. And that's the hardest thing. It's hard to remove yourself personally from that situation. But I think it's imperative to, to understand that even if it's, even if it is somewhat about you, you, there's a lesson to learn from that. And there's ways that you can improve and be better and not just constantly be competing. Cause otherwise you're just like you said, it's a damage to self. That's right. It's harming self. So, um, Maxwell talks about, there's two more parts to this and he's got, um, five principles of how to influence your peers and then seven principles of leading across because that's all, that's what Maxwell does. He does principles. (laughs) So let's talk about how to best influence your peers. Okay. This can be interesting. So the first thing he says is complete instead of compete. And so in order to influence your peers, try endeavoring to make your teammates better instead of proving that you're the best. Spend the time adding value to your peers so that eventually you become invaluable to them. What do you think of that? Wow. Um, So I feel like I'm a jump. Sure. I'm going to stay on topic, but I'm going to jump somewhere else and then come right back. Yeah. I feel like a lot of organizations are going to a model to where they're flattening out the organization structure. Okay. What can you explain what that means? Yeah. So when I say flatten it out, that means that they are creating a structure to where there is maybe a big leader at the top and maybe a sub leader and then up underneath it is just a flat line of a of a bunch of people who are the same all the way across and i feel like they're doing this because it's easy to distinguish roles and to build rapport okay um and and with that to come back to what you're talking about yeah like when there's no formal authority like how do you navigate that role how do you navigate you know those situations yeah um and, and i think that comes to light of what you're saying completing instead of competing and where i feel like that's important and i think that's what a lot of organizations are trying to accomplish by saying if we have a whole bunch of people that are even all the way across right they're going to all work together because no one really has to worry about Right. The hierarchy, the hierarchy, not there as much. Correct. Because you have one big leader, maybe a sub leader and then everybody else. So they're going to work together and completing and they're not going to compete so much because there really isn't that. Right. There's no well, there's no room to move up. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So um, I feel like that kind of carries over to the completing instead of competing ah yeah that's true i never thought about that yeah and i feel like there are a lot of organizations that are doing that and they're just kind of like all right let's just get a whole bunch of people that's going to get this stuff done and they're all the same and they're all equal and let's just bring them in and they do the work from the bottom to the top yeah so what's your best advice to add value to your peers that you're trying to not compete with but complete I think that the first part um, or the first thing, you know, I'm process oriented. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the very first thing that you have to do is make sure that everyone knows and they identify their strength zone, which we talked about Mm -hmm. previously. Um, Make sure that you are willing to take risk and everyone is willing 
you know, and open to growth. Right. So I feel like all of those are very important. And then, like I said, process oriented, I feel like it's important to make sure that with the skill setting on your strength zone, like you lead discussions and you proactively make sure that you understand how you fit in and they understand how they fit in and you all discuss how you're going to manage. I'm going to use the term personalities because that's typically what it comes down to. That is what it comes down to. Um, how, how you all are going to manage the different personalities. Um, next you want to make sure you create a welcoming environment. Um, I know I talked about this earlier about how, like I try to make sure that I'm open. Yeah. 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 I'm open to people. So you want to make sure you create a working, uh, a welcoming environment. You're presenting yourself as open. Make sure you set like a ground rules or foundations. Oh, so how do you, I know that's easy to do when you're leading down. Yeah. But how do you do that when you're talking about peers? Yeah. So with your peers, I think that when you're setting the foundation, one of the major things is actively listening. Okay. You know, and making sure that you, you express that you're going to actively listen, but that's also the expectation across everyone else. Because when you're talking about peers, there's always going to be that person who thinks they really are like the leader or the boss. I just want to dig into this a little bit. Yeah. Cause I think this can be difficult. Yep. Let's stay here for a second. Um, how do you set those expectations without coming in and sounding like a, a know it all? Right. Right. So that goes back to the very first thing that I said uh, along the lines of how, Y'all are going to manage the different personalities. Once you learn those personalities and you figure out how to adjust and adapt to each person. Okay. And making sure and going back to setting the ground rules, like the very first one that I said is actively listening. So you might come in and say, hey, everybody, like I'm so and so and this is how I like to work and this is how I feel like I'm the most productive here. Let Can we all just share that? And I feel like people will be open to them, be like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, this, 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 and this without perceiving you as being the know-it-all or coming in thinking you're the boss. Gotcha. Right? And then by doing that, I think that kind of is the initial phase of creating like a welcome and warm environment. Right. Right? So You know, in process, you know, I got the steps. Yeah. And then with that, I think that you have to take a step back and make sure in the ground setting phase that you're actively listening so that they don't think you know it all, but also you're encouraging other people to actively listen. So if there is somebody like, Hey, wait a minute, could you repeat that? Hey, let's, let's hear that out real quick. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. You know, and they're like, Oh, okay, cool. Like you haven't really done anything to stand out and be like, I'm taking the lead here or I'm now the leader. But in essence, you've kind of, Put yourself in that role. It also makes you non-threatening. Non-threatening, yeah. Because if you're willing to listen to other people's ideas or to be like, I have this idea and then somebody comes along and trumps it and you're like, yeah, your idea is 10 times better than mine. Let's go with that one. Yeah, definitely. Then you're automatically, well, you're A, non-threatening and then you're winning over your peers' trust because they're like, okay, this person is going to go with the best idea for the organization and it influences them to behave the same way. Absolutely. So I love that. I love that you said that. Yeah. So um, other ways to, I guess, build the foundation of the ground level is 
to make sure that you encourage everyone to contribute. I think that's very important. Yeah, because some uh, people may not feel like they have a voice. And right. depending on how they communicate or what their personality is like, they may not feel like they have to contribute and really they should be contributing right and then that goes back to number one when you're managing those different personalities the way that you're doing that is making sure that everyone is contributing and that's established in the foundation and the groundwork right um so i think that you know those are some ways and then obviously you establish the goals and you know you kind of motivate people empower them to take action right and then the only thing that's left is for you to perform and for you to encourage everyone else to perform and then at the end you just kind of like do a little quick evaluation and see where you are and just start back over again yeah you just went through an entire process that's my process that's good yeah yeah i think that's really good especially i think it can be it can be easy to like say all these things and listen to Maxwell say all these things, but the practicality of stepping into a space where everybody's equal and seeming non-threatening and seeming like you are a team player and seeming like you really want what's best for the organization while at the same time establishing some of these expectations and ground rules and making sure that everybody is going to work together. It can be really, really difficult to do when you're all the same level. Correct. I think that's one of the hardest things. And that's why leading across and leading up can be so very difficult. Yeah. And that goes back to, like I said, and we talk about it, you got to know your strength zone, but it's also good to, I would say, ask everybody else, what is your strength zone? Oh, yeah. Like, how do you work well? What do you do to help you be successful? You got to be willing to take that risk, though. Yep. A lot of people don't want to take that risk and kind of go through that process and getting to know the other people and realize how, um, you know, how you're going to navigate that. But also with taking that risk, you have to be open. You have to be open. You You have to be open to growth. Yeah. You have to, because if not, you're going to come in there. And if you're not open to growth, people are going to call you on it. Yeah. And you're going to be that know-it-all person. Nobody's going to listen to you, respect you anyways. And then you're probably going to be the lone person out. Yeah. And additionally, I think you have to be open. If you're going to ask people their strengths, then you have to be open to letting people lead in the situations that are their strengths. Yes. And this is something that for a long time was really hard for me because I knew what I could do and I knew I could do it well. And I would just go into a situation, peers, people that were positionally beneath me, it didn't matter. I would go into a position or a project or whatever and be like, this is what I can do and I trust myself to do it. And it kind of goes back to that, you know, I, I just didn't trust other people to do it even when I knew their strengths and I think that can be that's probably you know comes with maturity and experience but Mm -hmm. that can be very difficult to do yes when you're leading across to just let go and let the other people who are equally experts in that room lead as well lead as well yeah Mm -hmm. I think that can be very difficult another thing that Maxwell talks about when having influence with your peers is to switch your standard of comparison from your peers to yourself. So essentially comparing your work to 
your work and not necessarily your peers. So that really takes you from the competing to the collaborating a little bit better because then you're not constantly competing with them. You're competing against your own work. That's right. Um, When have you done this? I think that an example would be like if you're developing something that everyone is going to use and you're working on something that is going to be shared across the whole group is when you have to do this. So to use a sport, a sport analogy, if you know that and I'll use basketball as the sport, if you know that you are a 60 percent or 50 percent free throw shooter and you know that in your role on the court, the probability of you getting fouled and shooting free throws are very high that could impact the game. Right. You know, we just we, we just came out of March Madness, so that's kind of initially what came to mind. Right. And I seen a team <laughs> lose because someone got up there and missed a free throw. Yep. We and, saw a lot of teams. Uh, yeah, we saw a lot of teams because lose because <laughs> they missed a free throw. So, so for instance, if, if you know that your free throw percentage is, I'll just say 50%, and you know that based on your role on the team and your position, the probability of you getting to the free throw line is high, then you want to make sure that you're you're developing you and working on your free throws. So you're competing against yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, your free throw percentage is 50%. So you're competing against yourself to improve that to a higher percentage so that with the probability of you shooting free throws in a game increases the opportunity of you making more free throws, which will impact the team in a positive way. Uh-huh. So I think that when you're talking about um, competing against yourself, that's a way of, of kind of thinking about it in the, yeah. in the workplace. If you know that there is an area that you're, you're strong in, but there is a part of that area that needs work as opposed to competing against everybody else, just to showcase or to shine light on that thing that you're strong at take a step back and work on the area of that thing that you're strong at to improve those little intricate pieces so that overall the impact for the group will elevate. Yes. I feel like for me right now with, because I started a new job, this is like the story of my entire life right now is I'm constantly using the standard of comparison as myself and the things that I'm learning and how do I, I mean, just like people probably don't care about what I do, but in essence, like how do I make better visuals for data? And that's literally what I'm doing all day. So how do I compete with what I did last week and make, make my visuals better this week? I mean, that's actually literally what I'm doing all day. So, um, I definitely relate to this one. Um, just that when you look at the actual competition, it's usually to myself, especially at this point. Yeah, I think with this and we're talking about leading across, you have to develop like a strategic mindset mm-hmm. around resolutions and, and not just around waiting for the answer to come to you or waiting for somebody to validate you. I agree. And that's a part of we're using the the phrase competing against yourself is is developing that strategic mindset with the focus on finding resolutions to validate yourself, not waiting for someone to come around and validate you. I agree. Or waiting for the answer to be given to you from someone else. 
Like you go and you develop that strategic mindset, you work on it, you build yourself up. And if you feel like there are some areas that are less, how can you improve? What can you learn? What can you do to build that up so that when you're in the environment with your peers and you have that competitive mindset where you feel like you're competing with others, you're taking that personal approach with the strategic mindset of, well, it really doesn't matter what they think. Right. Because I know that I'm going to work on this area or I have worked on this area and I have improved in this area. And what I have to offer right now in my strength zone is strong. Right. And it can stand its ground. Yes, that's good. Um, another thing that Maxwell talks about is reevaluating your definition of success and failure and to resist the temptation to define yourself by wins and losses. Ooh, that's tough for me. Because you are competitive. I'm competitive. I mean, if you ain't first, you last. <laughs> I heard Ricky Bobby say that. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> so crazy. If you ain't first, you last. Oh um, yeah, no, that's this tough for me. So I'm not going to even sit here in front and give you this whole inspirational or motivational speech or or explanation on this because i'm horrible at this yeah, yeah. i mean i think i do i think this one is hard to do. this is tough but like you know if you're gonna reevaluate it and you're not looking at wins and losses like, because something also that we talk about often is that failure is both imperative right and unavoidable yes and it's imperative because you ha- you learn from failing and it's unavoidable because everybody fails. That's right. And so the um, your success depends not on necessarily like success without failure. Your success depends on how you recalibrate after you do fail. Right. You know, and we talk exactly. about that often. Yes. And so I think this one is probably hard because there are a lot of times that we're defining work, we're defining business we're defining you know personal lives even by what wins and losses yeah i'm like dang i took an l i gotta go back i gotta gotta go go back back to the lab i gotta go back to the lab i think that the only thing that i would say about this and and this is something that you and i we talk about all the time and i want to share with the people that are listening is reevaluating your definition of success i'm going to leave off the failure part of success we talk about success a lot of times and um i'm going to paraphrase it but booker t washington says it like it's not about your position it's about the journey Mm -hmm. so i think that when you're re-evaluating your definition of success if you take the approach or the focus off of position and accept the definition as being the journey I think that'll definitely help a lot because when you're talking about the journey within your journey they're going to be ups they're going to be downs but you're going to always be moving forward and there's going to always be growth yeah yeah you may not get that promotion right now or you may not get that big project right now right or whatever it is but that that just means that's another story that's part of your story that's part of your journey and there was success in there somewhere because you learned something, you yep. grew somewhere, yep. um, and, and you moved forward. As long as you're open to it. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yep. That is that is the, that's a kicker right there. Yeah, because I'll tell you, I've seen people also who are not open to having failed, and they're not open to learning from it. Yeah. You just see them plummet. 
I mean, really, it, and if they can't pull themselves back out, then it is a difficult road. Over. Yeah. So, okay. What else you got? Let's see. So, the next one that he talks about is, rather than being solely occupied by personal advancement, learn to see success in helping others to victory. I think this is very much... Um, I don't know how much we actually talk about it on the podcast. I'm trying to think of how much we talk about it, but I really think that this is like for both of us. Um, but definitely I can speak from uh, the vantage point of watching you in action with what I do. Yeah. (laughs) The people that you lead and that you you coach, this is what you do. Like you define your successes in the number of people that go out and have successful careers and the number of people that come back and can share success stories of what they're doing with you. Yes. And so I've seen you like elevate in positional leadership. I've seen you elevate and take on new projects, give new, give, you know, large, huge presentations that, I think a lot of people would determine or would think of as success. I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that you don't define them as success. But I would say for you, you get really excited about the fact that people come back and tell you how well they're doing because you had some sort of influence over them. That's what matters to me. Yeah. Yes, that that's me right there all the way. What you explained. I really don't need to say anything else about that. that no, that's that, it. Yeah, that, yeah, that is who you are. And so and the other the funny, the, not funny, um, but I see you do this with your peers that are on your same level, too. Yes. And just the way that you talk about how you guys are accomplishing and succeeding things together um, is really just a personal testament just to like, I, I mean, obviously I'm completely biased and I love this man, but I'm in awe of the way that he works too, because you just, it's very rare. You don't get to see this often. Um, so I think that you're a very good example of this. Yeah, I agree. And it's not difficult for me to say that I agree. I mean, I feel like that's me. Well, it's also just how you work and that is how I work. So so um, this is good. I would I would say, do you have a couple tips on how people can really help others to victory or help others succeed and define their success in that way, especially when they're peers? What yes. Are some tips that you have? I think that the first thing that you have to do is make sure that you create a learning environment. Even and with peers. Even with peers. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is we kind of talk about it briefly a, a little bit earlier in, in this where we're saying that the perception of being a know-it-all, that can mm-hmm. shut people down. Yeah. That does not create a learning environment. So I, I keep referring back to being open, but not only being open, Putting yourself out there as a resource, a lot of times that's that can be pretty intimidating. Whereas if you're putting yourself in a leadership position by your actions or if someone puts you in a leadership position verbally or just um, it just kind of manifests in that way, that can be intimidating to right. other people. So making sure that you're being welcoming and open, but also creating a learning environment, um, it makes it a little easier to address 
things that may occur that may come up. And like you said, I like to help other people to victory. And that's what drives me. Well, it's kind of hard to do that if they can't learn anything from you or if they don't feel comfortable coming to you to take or learn things from you, Um, which goes to building trust. I think that's I mean, that's a key factor, making sure that you you um, build trust and and then promoting confidence in in those other people. And, And that's by being honest and sharing where there are areas of growth for them. But also when they accomplish those um, things that you set out for them, like celebrating that, I think is very important. Yeah. Um, so always making making sure that you remember to put uh, and, and I do this, but making sure you put the team's needs first, mm-hmm. because if you put the team's needs first, they're going to support you and back you up to where they're going to elevate you. So if you go in with the mindset that it's all about you and you negate the team's needs, you you may accomplish your goal. You may accomplish what your objective is, but the team isn't going to be as supportive um, and they're going to feel like they're just kind of stuck in the background. And then when it comes back around to a time to where you do need them, they're not going to be as apt to stand up for you or to step in the gap for you. Also, you're going to run yourself crazy and you're going to run yourself tired. So remember to put the team's needs first. And and I promise as you put their needs first, they're going to elevate you. And then as always, you got to work hard. You got to put in hard work. Agree. And and when people see you work hard, then they're also going to be more apt to to work work hard. hard. Yeah, you got to work hard and they'll follow. So those would be a couple of the tips. I like that you said celebrate because we talked a little bit last week about um, rewarding or acknowledging people that are beneath you. Right. I think that often we we are it's easy to do that with the people who work for you. Right. I think we forget to do that with our peers and Mm -hmm. we forget to tell them that, you know, you've done a good job. Yeah. Um, And I like that. Yeah. The last thing that he talks about, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, is adopt an abundance mindset instead of succumbing to scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset really can just leave you high and dry. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, with a scarcity mindset, that's like, hey, you guys, this is is this is this is kind of it right here. So we gotta, yeah, we gotta do this, and that's it. And then if that fails or falls through, then that's it. Yeah. And the reality is I've never been in a workplace where I've seen scarcity for long periods of time. I mean, there's definitely been times where if you talk about projects or promotions, like they may come and they're there for a little bit and then there might be some time and space between the next ones. Right. But you always see other promotions, other projects, other committee work, other opportunities come around, you know, even if it's in two to three years. Yeah. And so I don't believe in succumbing to a scarcity mindset, even when it seems like there may not be as much to go around as as you might wish there was. Yeah. Plus, it just drives you crazy. (laughs) It does indeed. All right. Until next time. We are out. 
Hey, everybody. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to the Success in Black and White podcast. You'll get notified every time a new episode is posted, which is every Tuesday. If you loved this episode, help us spread the love. Rate and leave a review on our iTunes podcast episode. Also, share that you listen on social media and tag us on your posts. My social media handle is I am Daryl Lovett on all social media platforms. And mine is April Dawn Lovett on all social media platforms as well. Thanks for listening. Oh my gosh, you sound like Keith Sweat. Oh my goodness, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Oh, did it record? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>